for today, I'm pleased to nominate Judge Jackson, who brings extraordinary qualifications. Judge Curry, what is your reaction to the president's nominee to become the next U.S. Supreme Court justice? I am elated for um, the African-American community. We have had a number of African-American females who have been truly qualified in the past, but they have never been nominated. They've always been considered. And so for little girls, I have three granddaughters who desire to enter into the field of law. Um, it's just a great day for women all over. And to have um, an African-American with the background that she has, she served as a federal public defender. Um, she has served as um, a law clerk to a Supreme Court justice. Um, she's been on the federal bench. She is highly qualified, and um, I'm just excited. Tamara C. Curry is a wife, mother, grandmother, volunteer, and judge. She told me that helping people through the court system is what she has always wanted to do. Did you always want to become a lawyer? I think around eighth grade, I pretty much knew that I wanted to be a lawyer. Um, always loved history. My father was a history um, teacher at Burke High School and so loved history, loved government and so I pretty much always wanted to be a lawyer and I had already decided if I wasn't going to be a lawyer I wanted to be a college professor and teach history. So, so definitely, yes. I want you to talk about what kind of impact studying at an historically black college or university had on your decision to practice law? So I went to South Carolina State University and I majored in um, political science pre-law and I had the most insightful um, chair of that particular committee who urged me on, gave me the confidence uh, through all of my studies. Um, I did internships um, in Columbia at the State House, and they prepared me for, for when I got accepted to law school. Um, I got accepted to USC, but I also got a full scholarship at the University of Tennessee School at Law. And so State nurtured me, and I have friends right now who were in other classes at um, at South Carolina State who are also lawyers in South Carolina and other states. And so HBCU prepares students the same way all of our other majority colleges do. We have to take the same entrance exam. We have to go to law school like all other students. We have to pass the same bar. And, and, and so I truly gained so much confidence and was nurtured at the HBCU that I attended, who I still continue to support. You are a native of Charleston, first of all, grew up here and went through the public school system of Charleston. And you've, 
And you've seen families move in and out of neighborhoods on the peninsula, sometimes people losing their property because they don't understand the process of probate. Is that one of the reasons you are so passionate about the power in this particular office? One of the platforms that I have has to do with heirs' property and um, educating our family, our community um, about issues in um, you know, how to avoid losing their properties to tax sales, foreclosures, selling their properties. And so as a judge, I have firsthand seen um, developers who have contacted family members who do not live in the Charleston area. And if you have heirs property, a property that is in more than one person's name, and one of those individuals does not want to keep the property and wants to sell, sell the property, then there are ways that they can force the sale through a partition action and, and other um, issues. And so I have seen where um, family members have not had the property appraised and then want to sell the property for below fair market value and, you know, have the majority of the family members who agree to do so. And so as a judge, I always make sure that if any piece of property that's coming before me, if I don't have all of the consents of family members, property has to be sold um, for fair market value, unless there are other um, issues that may um, preclude that from happening. But then family members need to also be educated that if you, if you are the only person who's been paying the property taxes, on a piece of property, that doesn't mean that that property is yours even though you paid the property. So there's just so much misinformation. And if you fail to pay the taxes on the property, how you could lose the property or tax sales. And sometimes family members don't know. They think, oh, I've lost the property. But there are some things that you could do within that next year in order to pay the taxes and the interest rate changes the longer it takes within that year, but that 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 property is not lost totally. And so people need to be informed as to how to avoid losing their property, how to deal with tax sales, how to deal with if your property is in foreclosure. And just because your property is in foreclosure does not mean that you can not, that there are not methods that exist to assist you with dealing with the foreclosure, their costs that are gonna be incurred, attorney's fees that are gonna be incurred, but that doesn't mean because you've been served with paperwork that you can't see your property. And so all of these issues are things that our community needs to be educated on. Is ensuring that everyone has equal or equitable access to the probate court office important? Well, it, it's, it's extremely important. If, if you live in McClellanville and you have to drive all the way to downtown Charleston, now we are currently in a pilot where you are able to e-file but a lot of our older citizens 
need assistance from family members, children, grandchildren, to even assist them with e-filing. And, and so, yes, it's extremely important that we meet people with where they are. Um, there are a lot of citizens who love e-filing and they're able to e-file, but then we still have to make sure that we have the traditional manner, which is paper, um, even though that file is going to have to be scanned and converted to e-filing. But we want to make sure that when we're um, teaching our classes, um, classes are sometimes held in the middle of the day. People don't have time to get off. And yes, um, there are um, some of these materials online, but we want to be able that we want to be able to ensure that we can, whether it's quarterly, um, go out in the areas, be able to answer questions, and to be able to take the workshops to where our citizens reside. So it's extremely important to me that we look at all of these alternatives. I know you, like me, I have a mother who will be turning 80. Um, elder law, elder issues and fraud and abuse are issues that I also want to educate the community on. I preside over, I'm one of the judges that presides over the adult drug court veterans court and juvenile court, but I actually assisted in starting the first mental health court. And um, one of the reasons that I started the first mental health court was we kept seeing, um, we, as, as I've indicated, we have a civil commitment process for um, drug and alcohol and mentally ill individuals. But what we would see during those commitments were a number of people who suffered with mental illness, but they had criminal charges. But the criminal charges sometimes would be things like um, breaking into a vehicle, um, trespassing, laundering, um, uh, stealing items such as a candy bar. But it's now no longer your first offense, but your 10th offense. And because it's your 10th offense, it may then be bumped up from magistrate and municipal level charges to general sessions charges. And so we kept seeing these frequent flyers. And if you know anything about the Charleston County um, jail or city of Charleston, one of the highest bills that they have has to do with psychotropic medicines, medicine that you take for your mental illness. And so we realized that we had all of these individuals who kept, you know, frequent, kept frequently going in and out of the jail system, but they suffer with mental illness. And so they're on their medicines, off their medicines, on their medicines, off their medicines. And mental health court was an alternative the same way drug courts are where you look at the central issue, which is this, this person suffers with a mental illness. Can we get them titrated on their medication and can we deal with their day-to-day -day needs such as housing? We have a huge amount of individuals who are in our courts who are homeless. Mm -hmm. Can we get them funded? Social Security, if they're able to um, qualify for Social Security, 
can we assist them with training? We send our individuals to folk rehab so that they can learn skills and be able to be employable. And are there places that they are able to work now and folk rehab helps us with that. And so the goal is to look at what issues can we do to try to make this person as whole as possible, keep them from going in and out of the jail system, keeping them from getting rearrested and re-engaging them back with family relationships when we can. And so that's really the goal of all of the specialty courts, but, but definitely with the mental health court. And then the other thing with mental health court um, is that 60% of our people are duly diagnosed. That means that they suffer with a mental illness but they also have substance abuse issues also. And so if you are not taking your medication, using drugs, it's just a recipe for disaster. Judge Curry, the position of associate judge is, is not an elected position, but the uh, chief probate judge for Charleston County is a probe, is an elected position. Um, do you believe that it is better that the position be one in which the constituents decide who should hold that position? What I can tell you is in the state of South Carolina, the probate judge position is the only position, judicial position, that is elected by the people. Um, it makes it extremely difficult to run for probate judge because number one, as a sitting judge, um, we can't fundraise. And so um, this position is a partisan position and I think it should be nonpartisan because we serve all of the citizens of Charleston County whether or not you're a Democrat and a Republican, and I'm a Democrat. And so if that makes it very difficult that we're having to run partisan races. And then you also have to be voted upon by the people that you have to serve. Um, our legislature, our local delegation appoints magistrates and municipal um, level judges and all of the other judges are elected um, from Columbia. And, and so I don't have an opinion for or against. I just know that it makes it very difficult um, if you're a sitting judge and, and you can't fundraise. You're, you're not supposed to um, go to political events except one year up until the time that you are going to run. And it just makes it very difficult. And yet this is an office that you are seeking. I have always worked in the community. Um, a lot of people use the phrase um, or take on the philosophy that it takes a village to raise a child. And I know that it takes a caring community of persons to, to sustain our great city. And I have always been a servant leader. My mother and father were um, Educators, they were they were they were school teachers um, when they started out. Um, I have worked campaigns as a young child. Um, we had fundraisers at our home, and so I was taught to give back to my community. And for the last thirty years, that is what I have attempted to do: is to work 
um, throughout my community. I'm a member of a number of organizations. Yesterday, I was out with the Social Action um, Committee, which I am over um, for Alpha Kappa Alpha Sorority. And we had a canned food drive and collected over 1,100 plus canned goods that will go to the food bank. And so I have not worked in my community just because I am running for this position, but it's something that I have pretty much done my whole life. And, and all of that I learned from my mother and my father who also gave back to their community. And you are seeking to become probate judge of Charleston County. You are currently associate probate judge. You certainly have um, the unique opportunity to make history if elected to this position. The month of March is Women's History Month. Why do you believe that you are uniquely qualified as a an African-American woman who grew up in Charleston to be in this position? I'm homegrown. I know the community. I have worked tirelessly in the community. I've been an associate for 22 years, so I know the job. I know how to do the job. Um, I was elected the first African-American president of the College of Probate Judges nationally. I've assisted in um, rewriting the um, probate code um, it took us five years to do that. I sit on the revisions committee. And so I'm educated and I have the experience. And I have the love for the community and I have the passion to work in our community and to sustain our great city and the area of probate related issues. And, and I believe that I've been a, a leader and can serve our community well. Associate Probate Judge for Charleston County, Tamara Curry. Thank you so much for spending time with us, explaining your platform and your vision if elected to this office. We wish you the very best. Thank you so much. And I thank you for having me um, on your podcast. And there's a lot to learn in the probate um, area. And if there are any churches or civic um, organizations that would like me to provide a seminar on wills, trusts, estates, or heirs' property, please know that they can call the probate court, and I am always available to serve. And again, I thank you for this opportunity. It was my pleasure. Thank you so much. Thank you. That's it for this episode of Let's Talk. Let's Talk is produced by Eric Johnson. I'm the host, Carolyn Murray. We welcome your comments and advice on our podcast, so please write a review and share the link with others. Thanks again for listening to Let's Talk. Goodbye until the next time.